Hi everyone and welcome to Wise Campus Pod because I'm Sylvia. And I'm Sabrine. We are your hosts for this episode. Thank you for listening. Wise Campus stands for Women in International Security. We are a student-led organization dedicated to empower young women in the field of peace, security and defense, starting at the university level. To achieve this, we are inviting our partners, Comité Diplomatique, a student-led organization based at the Université Libre de Bruxelles, also called ULB. Comité Diplomatique is dedicated to gathering young people interested in diplomatic careers. We will discuss the heart-hitting question of women in diplomacy, why we see few women and what are the solutions we can see implemented in the future. With us, Kaltum Nebu, founder and president of the Comité Diplomatique. Welcome, we are looking forward to starting the discussion on women in diplomacy. Dear Kaltum, thank you for accepting our invitation. So, you are the founder and president of the Comité Diplomatique. Can you tell us about your organization, its purposes and activities? Well, actually, thanks to you for inviting us and giving us this opportunity to talk about uh, such a thrilling and exciting subject. Yes, well, about our Comité Diplomatique, uh, we are an organization who gathers uh, 12 Uh, either students or young professionals and we organize uh, either trainings, conferences, uh, seminars or um, networking sessions and everything that can possibly help uh, maybe a future diplomat in its uh, path uh, to this uh, really secretive world. So yes, we invite a lot of diplomats, we have a strong link with the ministry and everything. Yeah, it's basically like, uh, let's say, a diplomatic training, not by an academy, not like, for example, the Academy of Vienna, but for a small scale here in Brussels for French speakers who may want one day to take the diplomatic exam. Would you say that there is apprehension from young people to launch a diplomatic career because of its high male environment? Being a, a diplomacy-focused student organization enabled you to collect testimonies from young women students in this regard. Yes and yes, this is exactly our battlefield. For us, this is not by telling uh, this category, the young professional ladies that are already invested in a different career path to, ooh, suddenly take the diplomatic exam or try to make it into the diplomatic world that requires a lot of preparation before. This is absolutely impossible. We're not going to gather enough women by doing that. This is why uh, what we are looking for here is the roots. These 18, 19 years old young ladies who are still searching and exploring their career options and might have a disillusion when confronted with the requirements to become a diplomat. We want to show them that yes, they can do it if other women did it before them. This is the reason why we have a special spotlight for women diplomats. As students... We are glad to see that organizations such as Comité Diplomatique are flourishing at the university level. We are also happy to see that you are bringing subjects like women in diplomacy and that you are willing to endorse the mission to inspire young women to not be discouraged by the challenges of integrating a quite gendered profession. There is no doubt that women can make strong diplomatic actors more representative of today's realities. 
Okay, we hope that you are ready for more insights and some motivational speech also because the person we are going to hear now in a couple of seconds is Her Excellency Mrs. Angelina Eichhorst. She is the Managing Director of the European External Action Service and she is holding one of the highest positions in European diplomacy. This is an extract of the speech she gave us during one of our conferences. She's going to tell us all about the advantages of being a woman in diplomacy. As a woman ambassador, you have a, a wonderful advantage compared to men ambassadors. You have access to absolutely everybody. You have access to the so-called women world, and particularly in the Gulf countries, this is very important, but also in other societies, you are, you know, you're part of that women scene and you have access to the men world. And you have a lot of access to the man world because it's 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 almost natural that of course you are you are you are, you are, you are taken in you're serious you are you you do your work as ambassador as well so you have both sides for man ambassadors it's not easy to to be part of the women's world. Diplomacy is still considered as something that does not belong to women, maybe because they have been for a long time assigned to care work or to the private sphere. I believe that the new generation of young professionals needs to show that there not exist jobs naturally associated with masculinity or femininity. We should challenge stereotypes in this sense and, as stressed by Ambassador H. Horst, show more examples of successful diplomat women and make more visible women advantages in male-dominated professional areas. Exactly. On another hand, we, we are not denying that there are also moments where obviously this naturally belonging mentality can either hurt us or put us in a bad position. As an example, and we unfortunately do not have the tape of our first woman in diplomacy, but as explained, um, I'll be the messenger, but as explained by Her Excellency Mrs. Annick van Kalster, who is the general director of the bilateral affairs of our ministry, she has been through... Um, let's say, some weird moments. For example, she would meet with some diplomats from the Middle East and they would only talk to her husband, but not to her. But there is a funny fact in here. It's that she was the only one able to speak in Arabic in the couple. So yes, it may create weird moments, but as long as you have your skills right, no one can take that away from you. Next up is an observation on the growing number of women in diplomacy from Her Excellency Luminitsa Teodora Odobescu, who is the permanent representative of Romania to the European Union. Um, became Director General in the Foreign Ministry in 2008, at the beginning of 2008. I, we were just two women Director General in the Foreign Ministry. So. I, when I was state secretary for uh, in in the in foreign ministry, I was the fifth woman state secretary in the history of the ministry. So you no, know, it's a lot. When I joined the trade department many years ago, I was the first woman <laughs> entering this this unit. It was a newly created unit, newly created uh, unit. So. You know, so we are moving, um, not slowly, quite, uh, we are both moving uh, uh, and um, 
there, there is a lot of progress, I would say, uh, in this respect. And uh, I'm very happy as well. As we can hear from Her Excellency Odobescu, there has been a real increase in the number of women working in diplomacy in the past few years. But in order to reach gender equality by 2050, I think we need to keep in mind the variety of factors, internal and external, to the diplomatic profession. It's also interesting to identify which country is doing better in providing childcare, for example, and learn from it. What do you think? In my view, it's a question of political willingness. Some countries are closer than others in reaching gender equality in diplomacy. I'm thinking about the Nordic countries, for instance. More and more young people are supporting gender equality initiatives, so if we make an effort to call into question gender-based stereotypes and to raise awareness, especially among young people, maybe in the near future we will be able to reach gender equality in diplomacy as in other professional fields. Okay, so last time I was listening to a podcast. It was a, a wife's diplomat who was explaining all the process she has been through when her uh, husband, which is a Belgian diplomat, got his position. And one of the trainings she got, like the second one, which is like the most important, is that they taught her how to set the table because as the wife's diplomat, she has to be able to do that. And I was wondering, like, if I become a diplomat or if a woman becomes a diplomat, which is a, a thing that will obviously happen and it happened do we teach men to set the table what do you think well i think that's the thing about the the job of the partner because it's uh, something that is not supposed to to be in the contract but it still happens and it's part of the work of the diplomat and i had the same question recently i was imagining this man trying to charm the colleagues on the table and also entertain in a more informal way. I think it's something that obviously happens because we do have women diplomats, but it's very non-common and it will be interesting to know actually how it happens. I recently read an article about this. Like, I think that it's still, um, especially during the events organized uh, by the ambassadors or just diplomatic in the residency. Like uh, I read that it's still really, really common that the ambassador is hosting the event, but it's his wife that is making all of the, the preparations, actually. I don't know, for, for the moment, uh, and I had this discussion with other diplomats, it's still like rare that... Uh, women are really like consider are how can i explain this even if they are diplomats they still keep their feminine characteristics i'd say so they can also be appreciated for these feminine characteristics but uh, if they act like men they are not really appreciated actually so i mean i i think that it's, that's why gender transformative approach can be useful not just to challenge women traditional role but also men traditional roles so we can also show men that they can make the table i mean they can take care of or their kids not just at home but also in a diplomatic environment i'd say well actually it's qu quite interesting because you guys talked about tradition and everything and there is something really deep in here is that tradition is really important in diplomacy which is basically protocol 
So here is a question for you. Do you think that when we change things, do you think that we are going against the diplomatic protocol, which is the hallelujah of the, the of diplomacy? The more we, we, we advance, the more you see a lot of um, positive discrimination and also quotas. And it, it works in a lot of fields. But the characteristics about uh, diplomacy is the merit idea. When you are diplomats, it's because of merit. And when you try to, to force uh, the 50-50 um, idea that you know, men and women should be equal in this, in this field, you're supposed to see as many women as men, you have to put aside a major part of what it is to be a diplomat, what's, what it means to be a diplomat. And that's why I think that the more women are trying to, to reach this environment, the more uh, we can reach a potential equality, but I don't think we'll be able to see um, a sort of radical politics to, to reach uh, parity next year, for example. But do you feel that this quota and this, um, let's say, process on getting more women in diplomacy is a breach in the tradition? Do you think that we are really going against protocol when we do all of this? Mm, I don't think so, actually. I think that uh, at least for other female students that I've met, the problem is that we don't have enough uh, role model, like women role model, because... Uh, that's why I think that networking can be uh, like a useful tool, since if we get in touch with other female diplomats, we can actually understand that it's not just uh, like a professional environment for men. There are a series of, uh, of tasks that uh, can be done by women as much as by men. So it's really a question of raising awareness of the fact that it's like a profession like others. So that uh, we need the training to, to become a diplomat, that's for sure. But it doesn't mean that we have to go against the protocol. I mean, we learn how the protocol works, but it's more, I think, a question of challenging the mentality and the stereotypes related to women and to women when they work, interact in a male-dominated world, instead of challenging the attitudes or, or the protocol, let's say. Well, I think it's still undeniable that um, the diplomatic environment needs to, to change so that women can make less concessions uh, on the type of life they want. I mean, it's still difficult for a woman a diplomat to have a, a family life and have children. She probably have to make more um, concessions, which you don't see with male diplomats because they don't have this pressure. You notice that men often decide not to follow their wife and pursue their, their own career. As the opposite of diplomats, uh, wife will make more concessions to follow their, their husband and support the career. Yeah, but actually it also raises a big question about this whole, because we're talking about this, uh, the couple, uh, the who follows who, who does what. And I have a question for you. In the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, of course, the Belgian Minister of Foreign Affairs, we have a family department called in French, la cellule familiale. And I personally don't know what they, what they do, like because I'm not a diplomat and I cannot know, but I was wondering, do you think that it is actually possible in the future to uh, make 
the diplomat's life a bit easier to maybe push more women towards this uh, career that is like uh, no strings attached, let's say, you know, can this family department help by set, putting them not too far from their home, maybe putting them in the uh, in Brussels, in the uh, um, international organizations that we can find here? Like, what do you think about this idea? I think it's a good start because like you said, it's a very traditional job with a lot of folklore and protocol around it. It has to come from the ministry. I think that something that can be done is, for example, to show uh, that actually having a diplomatic career can, can also be a benefit for the family as an institution, let's say. Because, uh, for example, I've heard that many, uh, many women that actually started a diplomatic career, they believed that this was a benefit for their children since they had the chance to develop multilingual skills, for example, to live in different countries. So they become also more open-minded. They, they really developed uh, like an ability to adapt to new contexts, to new countries. Often we, we just focus on the negative aspects on, of living abroad or, or about the fact that a diplomat needs to move many times in, in a few years. But actually, it, it's not always, like, let's say, like negative for a family or for a couple, for example. So that's something that the department can, can, can do, for, I think. Like not just uh, show the negative aspects of this non-traditional families. When you go actually into the, the diplomatic world history, you actually discover that, yes, most of diplomatic stuff was were happening in the bureaus, in the offices, in golf courts, but also a big part was played by uh, diplomats' wives uh, in like uh, the, the ceremonies, the galas, the, the, the venues, the events and everything. And so like it also raises this question of gender discrimination, but a positive one. Do you think that as women, as ambassadors or like as diplomats, we uh, can, of course, we can play golf also, thanks God, but we can also go to these venues and be really more in discussion, for example, with the wife of a, a difficult head of state with whom we do not have good diplomatic ties. Maybe we should also accept this gender uh, discrimination, but that is positive without diminishing maybe the masculine one? What do you think? Actually, imagine a woman ambassador, single, lesbian, who invites in her residency uh, a lot of other diplomats and serves the table herself. Can we imagine that for the diplomatic world in 2050 in a really utopic uh, <laughs> uh, perspective? What do you think? Of course, it would be amazing to, to, to see that kind of um, layout and it will happen for sure one day. We just need to try to reflect on what it is today, what has to change uh, in order to break boundaries and not to limit women to just be a, a wife of a diplomat, but also an actual diplomat and make sure that she can enjoy her, her profession as an equal way as a, as a man. I think that at least our generation can make a change because I really have the impression that uh, 
even if maybe things are changing slowly, but at least there's like a, a growing interest in uh, uh, raising, for example, gender equality, not just in diplomacy, but uh, in every other professional field. Then also I know that, uh, because I've been told by other diplomats, that everything depends also on the host country. It's not just a, a question of uh, Belgian diplomacy, for example, but of course being a diplomat, I don't know, in uh, in Finland is not the same as being a diplomat women in uh, Syria or Iraq, you know what I mean? Like, uh, it, it really also depends on the level of gender equality of the host country. So, of course, uh, we can still change something like in Belgian diplomacy, but also it's a question of changing the whole system, I believe. It would be nice to talk about why you would like to, to, to be a diplomat one day, what we expect, what we would like to see. It's an interesting profession since uh, it, it's really like you're never doing the same thing. That, that's that's what, why I think that it's interesting. Like, you know, one day you are reporting on, I don't know, a meeting at the uh, UN Security Council, Council the day after you are saving the, the life of a Belgian that is stuck, I don't know, in... Uh, in an island or stuff like this. Of course, it's also interesting the fact that you are changing country really, really often. So you're getting in touch with different cultures, different languages, and uh, that can be really, really different between each other. For example, I've met uh, a permanent representative. For example, she was like in India, in uh, Finland, then in Portugal, then in France. She was really changing and like moving from one country to another. And she told me that for her, the most interesting part was studying the, her, her host country, understanding why that country had a certain position, because really often it was the result of uh, an historical process. For example, when she was in Portugal, she told me that every time that there was a conference or a debate about the ocean, Portuguese authorities were always there, like in position, but because that still has an impact today, of course. Then I also think that it's not for everyone because uh, even if, uh, of course, it can be interesting to go to receptions and events or organized by diplomat, then uh, it's also true, in my view, that you really need to have some social and interpersonal skills that are not for everybody because you really have to stay neutral and sometimes to shake hands to representative of states, for example, that are against human rights, for example. That, that's the experience that I've heard once from a lady working in Egypt. She was like, I can't do this anymore because I'm working in a country where I know that human rights are constantly violated and it, it really goes against my principle. For me, why I want to be a diplomat, um, it's actually because I think this is one of the only careers that uh, that is the perfect combo. I'm crazy about history, I'm crazy about sociology, I'm crazy about uh, human contact, I'm crazy about politics. But as much as I don't like to take positions on uh, political subjects and stuff that happens in society, I also really do enjoy a lot uh, representing my country because I know where my country is positioned, for example, on the subject. 
when I, when I started uh, dreaming about being a, the Belgian diplomat, uh, I, I was like, okay, I know what Belgium stands for. So, and it matches exactly what I stand for human rights, women rights, ecology and everything. And this is exactly what I needed. And also brings me to think about the fact that maybe if I wasn't Belgian, I, would, I wouldn't have thought about becoming a diplomat because maybe the country that I would live in or like that would be my original country, I wouldn't have the same, um, let's say perspectives. So it's really a thing about representing an ideology, representing a country that is really nice, that is fights for whatever you want to do in the future. And um, also, of course, you know, like it, there's a, a really amazing uh, book. It's La Diplomatie n'est pas un dîner de gala, being like uh, diplomacy is not uh, gala dinners and everything. But it is also a huge part of it. And um, I really do think that food and gastronomy and languages and a lot of the, all these things can bring people together. So yes, it really plays a huge role. So I, I'm also really, really leaning towards international stuff more than really national. Let's hope that one day we will be able to pass this really difficult diplomatic contest. What about you, Sabrine? I'm coming from a very multicultural background and I always saw myself as a world citizen. I also always enjoyed everything about international relations. A lot of my interest in diplomacy is also related to representing a country, representing values, try to share ideas that you believe in that are good, preferably. I, I had my time at the, the UN and I, I played the diplomat for, for a bit and I enjoyed everything about it. If I might actually uh, add something, we're talking about a lot about uh, the good sides, you know, dinners and everything, but I have to add just for the people listening to this podcast that uh, a lot of diplomats try to really break this image of just perfect things saying that you know diplomacy is a lot of administrative papers it's basically just signing papers all day reading papers all day drawing reports all, every day about what's happening in the country where you're sent so yes obviously it's not all about thrilling experiences every day and like oh having champagne <laughs> no it's really also but a lot of work boring work but Still, it has its bad sides, just saying. <laughs> Diplomacy is quite special that you can get lonely, but maybe it is also one of your doings because this is uh, like the type of career where uh, you, cho you choose actually if you want to be part of like a, a group, a community, be really like uh, enjoying yourself and going to stuff. And you can also really choose to be the representative of your country and not do anything else. In my uh, little experience, I met some really different diplomats actually, some who were really more into, I just want my family and I just want to do my job and it's my job and that's it. And others who were really more thrilled by life, you know? Yes, I'm in this amazing country and I want to discover and I want to go eat uh, street food uh, in the corner of a street with um, homeless people and I want to discover the culture you know so I really think that this is really one of your one of the few let's say fields where you can really do whatever you want with what's given to you
We hope you enjoyed this Wise Campus podcast with the Comité Diplomatique. Thank you very much for listening. To keep track of our next episodes, you can subscribe to our channel on Apple Music and Spotify. Follow us on our social media and learn more about Wise Campus and Wise Brussels on wisebrussels.com.